Hi, I'm Lee Keough, Editor-in-Chief of NJ Spotlight, and I'd like to welcome you to our new conference podcast series. Today's program is from our NJ Spotlight on Cities event, held October 16th, 2015, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. The title of this session is Don't Let Jersey Down the Drain, Managing Water in Cities. Chris Sturm, Senior Director of State Policy, New Jersey Future, and Damon Rich, partner at Hector Design Service, talk about our inefficient and inadequate drinking, wastewater, and stormwater systems, and what cities must do to address the problem. Tom Johnson, co-founder of NJ Spotlight, is the moderator. We have Chris Sturm, who's been working tirelessly on this effort for, she's Senior Policy Director at um, New Jersey Future, and we have Damon Rich of Hector, and he's done wonderful work in Newark along the riverfront and elsewhere, which we hope you will talk about. Why don't you start, Chris? Okay. Uh, if you have questions, fill out. In the, actually, the room's small enough, you can just get up and talk. We have a microphone. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you for sticking around for this. Um, most of you probably know New Jersey Future, um, especially if you were in the previous session. We promote strong communities through research, policy, advocacy, and technical assistance. And in the last couple of years, we've really been grappling with issues of water and how we manage water because those, both of those things um, are a real threat to the health of our communities and the future of our state. Um, just a quick snapshot, what are we talking about? We're talking about a really fragmented system, classic New Jersey, tons of drinking water systems, wastewater systems, stormwater systems, not very effective, rated you know C or D by national engineers, and estimated to cost some $40 billion to bring up to snuff, all of which is, would be folk, um, funded locally through user fees. That's how water, water stuff is paid for. When it doesn't work, you know what happens. There are water main breaks and sewer main breaks, and there are traffic backups, like the one you see on the left in Jersey City, Tonnelly Avenue, where um, traffic was stopped for hours. There are public health issues. You see the um, garbage at the Jackson Street CSO outfall in Newark. Um, not a safe or clean place. Basement flooding, sometimes, this is in Hoboken, sometimes that flooding is not just stormwater, but also sewage, another public health threat. And sometimes our water isn't safe to drink. That doesn't happen that often, actually, in New Jersey. Our drinking water's been doing pretty well, but um, if we don't keep investing in that infrastructure, we will have more problems. So this is a picture from Hoboken after a rainstorm last summer, a uh, big one, lots of flooding. Hoboken has a combined sewer system, and so part of that, those backups um, contained um, you know, raw sewage, basically poop, and so the next day the firefighters are hosing off the street. This kind of system, a combined sewer system, exists in 21 cities in New Jersey, and it, it was state-of-the-art technology 100 years ago when it was put in place. It rains, the stormwater goes down the storm drain straight into the sewer pipe, and if there's too much, it overflows directly into rivers and bays or backs up into homes and basements and streets. Um, this is um, in these cities that are actually outperforming the rest of the state economically. 
they have about collectively 17% of the state's population, but in the last five years they had 27% of the state's population growth. Double the rate of the state's employment growth, two-thirds of the state's transit access, and a quarter of the state's millennials. So all kinds of great assets, but also overburdened, 36% of the state's population below the poverty line. So some definite challenges because they've all just received permits last July requiring them to figure out how to fix these systems. So cities like Newark and Patterson and Jersey City and Bayonne and Camden and Trenton will be spending the next three to five years coming up with a really detailed engineering plan for how these overflows can be eliminated. And then they'll spend the next couple of decades making the investments to do that, which will cost four to $13 billion as a whole. How are these cities going to afford that is the big question. And um, it's not going to be easy, but our, what we're learning from around the country is that there are investments that can be made in water infrastructure that are actually linchpins for sustainable communities and for economic development. And I'm just going to highlight five approaches um, that will give you just a flavor. So first is shrinking the problem. Um, the house on the left, if you use water conservation, the less you drink, the less goes down the drain, the less wastewater there is to treat. So that's an important strategy um, statewide. Also on the left, you see the wrench fixing these sewer pipes, which are leaky, and they just suck in groundwater during rainstorms, and then that all has to be treated at the sewage plant. So fixing those reduces the problem. And then on the left, we have a rain garden. The more we can capture stormwater where it falls and let it absorb into the ground, or hang on to it and reuse it for watering or something, the less sewage we have to treat. And so this is an approach being used in Camden, that's their sewage treatment plant, to try to reduce the amount of sewage and free up capacity either for future development or for combined sewer treatment. And it doesn't cost much. Um, the second strategy is prioritizing projects that have projects that have many benefits. So the city of Hoboken, which is flooding like crazy, is doing this. They have three new parks in the works that are act, gonna act like sponges. So it's a very dense city, densest city in New Jersey, um, abandoned um, lots and parking lots where rainwater doesn't soak in are going to be turned into places like this. This is Southwest Park, one acre. It's going to have a, a dog lot and rain gardens and playgrounds. And then um, they got a $3 million from the county open space fund, a quarter of a million dollars from the feds for Sandy rebuilding. And they will be getting low interest loans from the state because underneath that park, are several layers to either allow water to infiltrate or to hold it until it can be released later to the sewage treatment plant. The third strategy is basically getting developers to pay for it. I don't know if there's any developers in the room, but developers pay for lots of stuff. And they have been separating uh, sewer and stormwater systems in waterfront locations across New Jersey for decades. The Jersey City Gold Coast basically had that happen as a precursor to all the development you see there. This particular picture is from Camden, so it probably involves some state subsidies. Um, top right is from a story a week ago. It's a development in Weehawken at Port Imperial where there's a 20,000 foot square foot green roof that's going to absorb rainwater again before it goes underground. And it will also make it cheaper to heat and cool that building. And then bottom left is a bathroom in Hoboken in a lead building that uses water conservation fixtures that reduce water usage by a quarter. Adjust rates. So this is in part raising rates. 
that's going to happen. I think we're, water's really valuable, clean water's really valuable, we're not paying enough. But there were also ways to just shift the burden. So this is an aerial photo of the city of Newark, right around City Hall. And you see um, a lot of gray, about 70% of the surface is impervious coverage. There's a lot of parking lots. And those parking lot owners generate a lot of stormwater. When it rains, all that water washes off the parking lots, picks up pollution, and goes down the drain and has to be treated by the sewage plant. But they don't pay anything for it. Meanwhile, the residents, the property, the business owners are paying. And so in 39 states, 1,500 communities across the country, there's a fee based on stormwater generation which uh, we think is legal in the state of New Jersey. We have a legal opinion from the Columbia Environmental Law Clinic, and we expect to see some New Jersey cities stepping forward to look at this as a way to either uh, make rates more equitable between parking lot owners and warehouse owners and small, small um, businesses, or to raise revenues or both. And finally, um, innovation. And innovation can take many flavors. It can be as simple as keeping good track of your sewer system, putting it all on GIS, um, recording the quality of the infrastructure and developing a plan to maintain it. Or it can be something more sexy like this, which is in Washington, D.C. About three weeks ago, they um, opened up their new system, which is extracting electricity from um, the sewage, the sludge that they normally had to truck off site. So they're going to have enough power to power a third of their uses, their needs, and then they're going to be able to sell the um, byproduct, which will be a compost-like substance that can be used for fertilizer. And so that will be a revenue source as well. So it'll pay for itself. They'll reduce their carbon footprint and um, probably have a more resilient energy source. Where is that? At Washington, D.C. And which? That's the Bell Blue Plains plant. Just uh, Google poop to power section. <laughs> Um, so there's, a huge, there's huge opportunities here. Um, sewage is sexy, that's what we say in the office, you probably didn't know that, but um, we're working with a lot of people in these utilities, in the cities, community groups, environmental groups, um, private water companies, to figure out how to take advantage of this opportunity and, and regulatory mandate at the same time um, to make New Jersey a stronger place and to really promote sustainability and economic development. So if you're interested, go to our website. You can grab one of these in the back. It's got our website on it and sign up for our monthly email list. And come to our conference uh, in December. We have great speakers from across New Jersey and across the country talking about how this is being done. It's free. It's in Newark. It's a morning session. Hope you'll be there. Um, and there are postcards on that in the back as well. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So, if you didn't know it uh, when you woke up this morning, um, you are now uh, firmly aware that New Jersey's urban water systems are fragmented, broken, and an expensive meltdown <laughs> um, because of Chris's uh, presentation. Um, what I wanted to do uh, was to talk a little bit about a question, um, which is to say, even if everybody in this room now is very convinced of this issue, that's probably not enough people to get anything good to happen. Um, so how do we begin to make this whole question of green infrastructure uh, at all a public issue? 
were most people here uh, already knowledgeable or aware of this this phrase green infrastructure before you came in? A couple nods, not 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 everybody for sure. Um, in my humble opinion, one of the things we might have to do is stop using like the phrase green infrastructure so much, because <laughs> I think it maybe sounds more complicated than it actually is. Um, so we're here in Newark. Newark, as I'm sure everybody knows, is a place connected to the world by all kinds of waterways. Um, but if you begin to look closely at the city, like even this uh, map of our beloved 24 square miles, you can begin to see in the lower right, that's where the airport and the port is, and most of that land, if you've seen it, as Chris was explaining, is paved. And so when the National Forestry Service came and they did a mapping of all of the tree canopy in Essex County, the situation was really grim um, in Newark. And again, we didn't need a satellite uh, to tell us that, if you know, us residents in Newark, but um, it's pretty amazing to see it from, from the sky uh, like this. They said it broke records for paved service uh, in, their, in their knowledge. And even, and this is more detailed, you start to break down the amount of land that could feasibly be transformed to permeable surface. And again, the idea here is for the water to go into the ground naturally instead of into a sewer pipe that overflows the sewer when it rains, right? Um, and so we have all these real issues. Uh, at the same time, even though there's not so much discussion yet about green infrastructure and this kind of stormwater problem, we have a long tradition in Newark and all across urban Jersey of people, uh, residents, organizing together to fight for environmental issues. So all of these three ideas that I'm gonna give you, starting with this one, um, really are about how do we tie that existing energy and power uh, and asset of existing communities uh, to, to this issue. Uh, so idea number one is if you connect people to the river, if they know there's a river there, if they maybe go to the river once in a while, they'll probably be more mad about poop going into it when it rains, right? So, um, you know, if you, uh, some people think the Newark Riverfront is just this, which is from the opening sequence to Sopranos, and that is the Newark Riverfront. Uh, but uh, they also might know about its Superfund status being the largest collection of subsurface dioxin in, in, the, in the known country. Um, and so there were a lot of obstacles to connecting people to this, to this river. And this is a 20-year history that I'm going to give you in about a minute and a half. Um, there's about five miles of riverfront in Newark that touches the neighborhoods or the downtown of the city. And so we knew from the beginning that we were going to have to have more people invested in this place if anything was going to happen. And we weren't even sure if people were going to get invested in this place. So we really began to say, we want to involve 2% of Newarkers, which was a pretty arbitrary number, but we had to set a goal, uh, which is like 5,000 people in this riverfront in some way. So how did we do that? Uh, we organized youth programs where people sometimes who grew up near the river interviewed people, documented, took photographs, uh, eventually built models of the way they thought the riverfront should look in the year 3000 when the mayor came and did a press conference with it. Uh, those young people then were on the news talking about the river, and this was a way that some of of the, this began to spread. We were able to raise some funds to offer $5 public boat tours of the Passaic uh, starting in 2009. Um, about 6,000 people now have gone on these tours. A lot of people grew up in the city but never had the chance to see it from a boat. We also do uh, tours for people willing to spend $100 and they get some wine and cheese with their tour and, and some, some WBGO on the radio. Uh, we do walking tours where we talk about what exists and what it could be, seeing existing businesses. And this is kind of how we did on, on that, that four years of two cents from 2%. So we just squeaked on by. 
Um, we also knew that all these people who had been fighting, not just for those four years, but for many years before that, to have some kind of a public place on the riverfront, it was really important to build something, even if it was modest at first. So we started having those public discussions. Um, this was way uh, a part of the Ironbound Riverfront looked. Uh, if you looked in 2008-2009, historic bulkhead, and this is the way it might look if you went there on one of these past summer, uh, summer uh, weekends. Uh, there's an orange boardwalk. Um, have, has anyone been here? Okay, so you guys don't need to tell me all about it. So, so far between the county and the city, there's been 25 acres built. Um, I'm sorry, 17 acres built for about $25 million. Some aerial shots. Uh, you know the kind of programming that goes there then, that there's a boat dock, the first public boat dock in 100 years. So kayaking days. We basically tried to think of every way, every kind of program that could draw some part of the Newark community to this place. So whether it was jazz R&B or a riverfront summit, um, whether it was a dance-off, uh, we were trying to find ways to bring uh, people to this place, the first praise by the Passaic Gospel Festival. And tonight is the last house party night on the riverfront of the 2015 season. So that starts at 6 p.m. if you're interested, um, which is a really, really amazing party. There's, there's movies, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the things that the people who supported this for 20 years said that we want this park to be a very nice park, but we also want it to be a place that tells the story of the struggles it took to make this park. So uh, we uh, have signs like this that show the relationship of the whole city with its neighborhoods and even surrounding municipalities to the Passaic River. There's some Langston Hughes poetry that you can read in the granite. Uh, there's these logs that tell stories like the former industrial use that cost us $3 million to clean up. Um, and most topical for this subject is there, there's a railing uh, which has some uh, water jet cut kind of comic strips in it. Uh, so you can see through to the river and you can do rubbings if you're a young child or a child at heart. Um, but one of the things we had to do as part of the park construction was to build this what's called a netting chamber, which is basically like a colander or a strainer they put on the end of the sewer pipe so that when it does flood, it like, catches the chunks, right? And so we, you know, didn't want this to be a major part of the park, but we couldn't really hide it because it's a big piece of infrastructure. So now when you go down to the park right there where the pipe is, you see this uh, engraved sign. So uh, it says, well, what is that big thing right there? Well, to understand that, you're gonna have to know a little bit about the history of sewers in Newark. So first there weren't any sewers. You know, then there was a sewer, but it just went straight to the river and that caused problems like smells, like people couldn't have their windows open at night. Then we got a sewer treatment plant um, in the 20s, which made it a lot better, um, except when it rains, as you just heard about from Chris. Uh, and so here's some things uh, that, that we can do when you see your rain gardens and rain barrels. Um, so you can go to this website to learn more about uh, our efforts to connect people to the riverfront. Um, one thing that we just published, I have a limited amount for sale for $3 here today. Um, uh, we have a, a wonderful <laughs> spokesmodel here with us. Uh, it includes things like future plans that have been identified by communities to build additional riverfront access. It includes this diagram of the environment of the Passaic that ranges from fish and birds to uh, sewage treatment plants and Superfund sites. And maybe most importantly, it takes this typical perspective on Newark that looks towards New York City and therefore kind of obscures the riverfront and turns that around uh, to really reveal uh, the, the city. All right, number two, uh, after connecting people to the river is, that's great, but probably you're thinking one little sign down by a park is not really gonna solve this problem, and you'd be right. <laughs> um, so how can we 
have more people know more, have more of a working understanding of these critical infrastructures that allow us to, to live in cities. So how can we put civics education uh, into the places that actually surround us? Um, so I'll show you some pictures from a recent project we did with Sussex Avenue School, which is an elementary uh, school uh, here in Newark, where we went out and investigated where water in Newark comes from, uh, where it goes when we're done with it, and what happens in between. Um, so students started out with their own authentic questions that they were very curious to solve about Newark's uh, water system. Uh, one of our first exercises was to try to do a drawing, and we gave them paper with this bladder in the middle. And the challenge was, where, if you're drinking water, like where does it come from before it goes in your mouth, and where does it go after it leaves your bladder? So students had all kinds of very interesting ideas about how, see I promised pretty pictures. Um, <laughs> which I can, you know, show you more of later. Uh, but the point is that oftentimes kids in school learn about things like a water cycle, and the diagram looks like it's in Hawaii, you know? But there's a water cycle right here in, in Newark that people can draw and understand, and that really makes the abstraction concrete. So this isn't just good for water. We think it's good for education. So at Sussex Ave, we went out and documented what we could find in the landscape that had to do with water, um, made some drawings of it. We visited places that were in charge of dealing with water. We learned about this guy uh, who sucks out clogs from sewers. <laughs> Students were pretty into it. I could tell you, I could tell you that. Um, we met the director of water and sewer. Uh, we saw these maps of all the water pipes and where the water comes from. We saw cards. We saw the map that shows the hydrant in front of their school. And so students began to kind of uh, figure out how to represent this system. We learned from the Trust for Public Land about the playground they were doing in behind the school that was designed to manage stormwater in some of the ways that, that Chris was explaining. We got to visit the sewage treatment plant, PVSC. This was just like amazing. <laughs> I think it's the one thing that none of those kids will ever forget. <laughs> uh, where they learned about the bugs that, that eat our waste which includes things like beer, milk, and Coke, we were informed by the tour guide. Um, and we began, again, to represent it, to try to put together what we knew of the whole system. Uh, and then the students made this gigantic poster and presented it to the PTA and actually had adults uh, get into debates about what was right and, and, and what uh, was true. And so the students themselves became community educators about water. And now we're working on a project to figure out how to make some of this into murals on that school. Final piece is to build a green infrastructure constituency. Uh, were people here familiar with the HUD Sustainable Communities Initiative? Um, so some people are. Uh, there's some wonderful things about it, but even as a planner, one of the frustrating things about it was that they mostly just wanted to pay for planning and not so much doing. Uh, so Newark had gotten some money to do some conceptual studies of different neighborhoods and stormwater management. There was a lot of very nice Photoshop montages, which are useful to kind of break these things down. Um, but then from the Newark side, it became really important to have our own group. And so we came up with this joke, Newark is doing infrastructure green, dig, <laughs> all right, rim shot. Um, this came out of the sustainability action plan. If you're not familiar with it, you can download it uh, from the internet. Uh, and this linked to a big movement for Newark parks. Uh, we passed our first open space trust fund uh, just uh, last year. Um, 
a lot of this work is focused on working with people who already have gardens, so to uh, put in rain barrels and other types of water system that serve their existing need. Uh, groups like New Jersey Tree Foundation are putting in a lot of trees, always in partnership with community groups and with residents. Uh, there's other groups doing education about combined sewer overflow. So this is something called a sewer in a suitcase that I helped to design a long time ago uh, that really tries to break down very clearly for uh, students or uh, older people how that works. And then finally, our biggest demand as part of the, the planning process was that there be some real pilot project. And so this, anybody recognize this triangle? Intersection of Clinton Avenue and Badger um, in the south ward of Newark. And so this is an example of a public space. There's even a tree there. Uh, we were told that there was a group, it was a while before we met them, of five guys who every year in the summer brought out five chairs to play uh, cards and dominoes uh, there on the triangle. And so we said, look, um, we can talk all we want about high level concepts about green infrastructure. Let's really make something happen because we're going to learn so much more uh, from that actual engagement. Um, so here's some of the people that we finally met uh, who were the kind of stewards of, of this space. We talked about the best places to sit to catch the sun. And that's kind of the, my main point that I want to leave you with, is that even if we all understand that green infrastructure is a pressing public need to deal with aging sewer systems and water systems, in urban Jersey, there's no such thing as a piece of green infrastructure that isn't also someone's neighborhood. And so I think as real estate developers, we can be more effective by leveraging the value of neighborhoods that always exist. Because as Chris said, nothing in a city is just one thing. You have to design projects to be multi-use and multi-function. Um, so in this case, you know, we went through a process which was just talking about uh, you know, not so much the underground infrastructure, but what should this thing look like? How could this thing actually be integrated into a neighborhood? And this is just like a paper dolls uh, exercise. Now we have engineering drawings. There's some challenges still down the road, but we think we're going to be getting funding from the EIT and uh, therefore hopefully go into construction uh, sometime uh, next year. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm told we're running out of time, but let me just uh, toss a question out to Chris since she raised the issue. Um, uh, take the tough stand yeah. and impose cost yeah. on voters. You're such a cynic, Tom. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the good news is that this is a federal mandate. So in places where uh, localities or states aren't following through, um, there's standing in the courts. And EPA has been coming down across the country. There are 775 other localities that have enforceable plans in place. There are only 75, including New Jersey's 21, which actually now are moving down a path that haven't. So we've managed to avoid the mandate for a long time, but I don't think, unless something really big happens federally, I don't think that's gonna happen. On the green uh, infrastructure, that too is going to cost money um, and Damon mentioned the open space uh, ballot question that was approved by voters pretty easily last November. Uh, I think it uh, allocates about $80 million. Uh, the state, uh, the administration took $20 million to fund state parks, which they didn't have which wasn't really part of the ballot question. 
there's another $60 million for acquisition that's basically tied up in uh, the treasurer's office. Uh, do you guys need some kind of special carve-out? Because to me, the green infrastructure program sounds uh, one of the first steps you should uh, take because it's cheaper and it's also making the city more livable. Uh, do, do you need a carve-out so you guys get the money to do the kind of things you're talking about, Damon? Well, a couple things. Um, I actually was referencing the municipal open space referendum that happened alongside, of course, this, the okay. state issue, um, which, and Chris might be able to, to speak a little bit more than me as to the sticks and carrots that exist out there at federal and state levels for green infrastructure. You know, at the, at the local level, the level of implementation, designing, and building things, um, you know, my attitude was always, you know, every little bit helps. Uh, you know, for example, building uh, the, the Riverfront Park, there were over 14 sources of funding. Some of them were for removing contaminated soil, some of them were for creating open space, some of them were for contributing to livability, whatever that means. Um, and so we were happy to aggregate those things to, to make something, again, that functions as a city that has these many purposes, uh, one of which is managing stormwater. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, and just a quick answer is, um, <coughs> everything Damon said is right and it's also true that we need a stronger constituency for parks and cities in New Jersey like the urban environmental movement here is not well developed it's a huge opportunity so think about when you're voting for governor or you're talking to a legislator what are the issues that matter yes we need open space but we need more of that money spent in cities in part because it can fund green infrastructure but it's also where people live so I think we only have time for uh, one of question. Uh, go ahead. I was going to ask about the uh, stormwater management uh, or impervious surface fee. Mm -hmm. um, is there legislation in the pipeline right now or are you relying on that legal opinion? And then if so, are there any municipalities that are reasonably far along in implementing that fee? Yeah. So there, there has been legislation in the pipeline. There was a bill that the legislature passed for Ocean County and the governor vetoed. Um, and there was another bill for CSOs, which is not going to move with Governor Christie in office. So we do, we, we are working with a city that wants to pursue the fee. They um, will hopefully do that. They will probably get sued, and it hopefully will stand up in court. So, and maybe we'll have a new governor. So. Is that opinion available publicly? Yeah, yeah, we can talk afterwards. I'm no expert in combined sewer overflows, but I understand that a lot of this is generated from the rim suburbs that come into the city? In terms of Newark's sewer system? Yes. Well, uh, it's true that uh, all, uh, well, a, a great portion of North Jersey sewers lead to Newark, uh, which is the PVSC. Um, you know, in terms of the cumul how cumulative th th those are, um, I'm not, you know, a, a sewer a plumber, so I'm not sure exactly how that functions, but the the fact is, right, that the whole area is getting rain, and so you think about that quantity of water, and obviously when it's raining in Newark, it's sometimes raining in Hillside or... But it's all, all coming down into Newark. Yeah, but there, in, the, in those other cities, uh, I mean other suburbs, mm -hmm. the, the rainwater goes down the drain and is going, flowing into local streams, not mixed with sewage. Oh, it is. So it's just the sewage that's coming to PVSC. So those systems are compliant. They're not perfect. But they're I was just wondering if they would assume any responsibility for the cost of yeah. remediating well, this. Well, that, you know, Camden um, is looking at 
ways to do that. And PVSC is actually taking a great role in preparing the long-term control plan for all um, eight of its cities plus two more. And they'll, the cities will be responsible for part of it. But um, PVSC has just hired a consultant and asked them to prioritize green infrastructure and water conservation and public input. And they, are, they hired a, you know, a national firm. Not a, so we're optimistic that they are. But they, um, the director just stepped down. Um, it was in the paper this week. He's frustrated because he hasn't had a quorum in years. He can't borrow money to fix his system. So um, we have a little political problem. Um, and I don't know, something you know, we, we may try to work on, but it's... Just feeding my cynicism. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that's it. I'm being told that we have to conclude this. It's unfortunate because you guys both had a lot to say. We'll, we'll be here. Uh, okay. In the, in the and I want to thank them for coming. In. Thank you for joining us. For more information on NJ Spotlight or to offer comments, please go to njspotlight.com. To learn about this specific conference, visit njspotlightoncities.com. Production services were provided by professional podcasts on the web at beingthemedia.com. For everyone here at NJ Spotlight, this is Lee Keo. Thanks for listening.